valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. What is faith? Hebrews 11 chapter 1 says, Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the persistent hope in the character of who God is and in His promises. Now, does faith give us a ticket out of suffering or open up a lane to maneuver through the traffic of life? What's the function of faith? How do we invoke or manifest the value of our faith in the most trying times? I've come to understand that faith is more like the tortoise and less like the hare, slow and steady, steady through the storm, steady through the floods, steady through the things that cause us to wonder where light is because all we see is darkness. My mother often sends me sentimental postcards via WhatsApp. And she sent me one, one particular day, which I found very helpful. In this postcard was a picture of a man holding an umbrella in the middle of a rainstorm. And the umbrella was labeled faith. And at the bottom was inscribed, faith does not get us out of the storm, but it keeps us dry within the storm. And I've always kept those words to myself. That postcard has been something I've come to cherish, recognizing that the umbrella of faith doesn't exempt me from being in the, in the rainstorm. Being a Christian, believing in God, doesn't keep us from pain or the floods or the rainstorms, but it keeps us dry so we're not drenched even in the difficulty that we may be facing. Today on the show, I'm going to be having a conversation with my wife Amy about infertility, which has been one of the most difficult things we've had to walk through in the last four to five years. To begin, I think for me, growing up, I was actually named after my grandpa. My grandpa had 10 children and I was named after him. I always thought that I would have a big family. I never really thought about the fear of not being able to have children. Uh, it was just never something that occurred to me. I just always thought whenever time the time came, it would be a smooth transition. My wife also came from a big family. There were six of them. So I always, I always desired to be a father of a big family. But since we've been married, that dream hasn't been realized. And it's been one of the biggest challenges I've had to undergo uh, with regards to my faith, in regards to trusting God, and with regards to my relationship with my wife, Amy. So here's Amy talking about her expectations with regards to family. I think for me, having been born into a large family, I've maybe I didn't have the same dreams that Danfy had in regards to having like six kids, but I definitely didn't think that there would be any issue when the time came for wanting to have children. And so yeah, you just have an expectation that the minute you decide, okay, we're going to start a family, that it'll just, it'll happen, whether it takes, you know, a few months, maybe six months at the most, that's what you hear. Oh, it can take up to six months. That's sort of the basic expectation, but when the months turn into years and the years go by, it definitely changes how you feel. Yeah, and... Let's just be clear. I know it's ridiculous. I, I didn't actually think I was going to have 10 kids. I just wanted a big family. Um, and 
I know there's so many implications about having such a big family, finances and all that stuff, but I've also, I grew up in a family where there was a collective uh, understanding of how things got, were, were done, so maybe my family never knew this, but I always thought, hey, if I had a lot of kids, I could just drop them off at my parents or give them to my sister if I ever needed help. So I've always had that collective idea of like, it takes a community to raise a child. Um, and my, my mom works with children and my dad was always, he was always playful and um, my sisters are good with kids. So it was just natural and uh, for me to want children and be around kids and because that's how it was for me growing up. There was a sermon we heard by Tim Challies and... There's just one quote where he says, having children doesn't make you a family. And I think when we heard that, it was it was quite helpful. It was like uh, applying a bomb on a wound. And for us, we thought we've been sitting here waiting, you know, okay, once we have children, then we'll be a family. But hearing that was helpful because we already are a family and adding children to our number doesn't make us a family, just adds to our family. That was profound, and we really benefited from that. So, Amy, how has the journey been for you? Well, we started trying about six months after we got married, uh, so we didn't want to waste any time. And I think, you know, for me, I had an expectation that maybe it would take six months to get pregnant. I, It was really hard for me to imagine because I obviously had never been pregnant before, so... There's a lot of mystery, a lot of maybe anxiety and hope and excitement, anticipation. There's a lot of emotions that you go through when you first decide to start a family. And I remember the first month that um, after we started trying when I found out that I wasn't pregnant. And just the emotion, the disappointment was just so great. Because there's that hope. You have this like innocent hope like... How little kids have and you just you think that this could be it and to find out that it's not the case you go through the sadness and you know crying and all of these things like very your high goes to a low very quickly but then you kind of pick yourself up and you think okay well you just got to keep trying and month after month you go through the same disappointment um, it becomes very exhausting then you start to lose maybe that childlike hope that you maybe had at the beginning. You start to feel like almost numb to it because you can't maintain that level of like expectation every month and followed by disappointment. I think for the first, definitely the first year of trying, we went through such a roller coaster of hope, you know, and we would even talk about it, you know, like maybe this time, you know, We'll start a family. So there's a lot of a lot of conversations about hoping for this to begin, or even when planning trips or planning things in the future, wondering, well, should we do that? Maybe we'll be pregnant, or maybe, you know, maybe we'll be having a child at that time. And I even remember in my family, when we got married, there was one nephew born, Maverick, very sweet boy. Since we've been married, there's been five five nieces and nephews mostly nephews with one niece born into my side of the family and Danfi had a, a niece that was just born as well a year ago and I remember even every time that I would hear one of my sister-in-laws were pregnant or even my own sister it was like 
oh, maybe I'll be pregnant too soon and our, you know, children will grow up together. They'll be around the same age. And then that child has a birthday and then another birthday and another birthday and you're still not pregnant. It's like, okay. And so you just, you go through so many like different levels of disappointment, I think. And the infertility is unexplained. I've had all the tests that are available, um, been through fertility appointments and cycle monitoring and getting up at 6 a.m. to have blood work and ultrasounds done at 7 a.m. almost every single day for a week. It's very exhausting and emotional. I think part of me, though, is a bit task-oriented, so I get, I kind of view things as like, well, this is what we do, we just got to get it done. Um, so I can be very motivated just by, you know, going through the, st the steps or checking the boxes without necessarily taking the time to process the emotions. Uh, even just some of the practical challenges. How many times have I gone shopping for clothes and thought, well, I don't know if I should buy these jeans or these pants because maybe we'll be pregnant soon and maybe I won't fit into them. Or keeping clothes in my closet that are a little baggy because I think, well, maybe it'll be a maternity shirt in six months or a year and then season passes and another season passes and you almost wonder why why did I keep those clothes around or why did I hesitate buying those pants because I could have had four years of wearing them, you know? So these are just some of the little things like that you go through on a regular basis when you're trying to start a family and just year after year. I think in terms of how this is made me feel in my relationship towards God is just a lot of mystery, crying out to him, obviously asking him for children, but not really understanding, like not really feeling any real clarity in regards to why. And we really try, I know as human beings, we try so hard to fill in the, fill in the blanks. Like, well, maybe it's because of this, or maybe it's because it's just not the right time. And it's just, um, we try to reason with our human minds of why something's not happening. But it doesn't really comfort you in those moments because you can look around at other people and see that maybe their life wasn't in perfect order or they didn't have all their their boxes checked and yet they have children or... That's just part of the journey for me. Danfi, what, uh, from your perspective, what are some of the things that you've gone through from the beginning of this, this journey? Like you, um, I just thought when we first got married, I just thought, hey, when it's time for us to have kids, we'll just, it'll just happen. And like you said, the months went by and, and I think, I think I felt the initial disappointments in the beginning when you thought you were pregnant and it didn't turn out that way and I just felt your pain and I I was disappointed and as a man wanting to be in control or wanting to change an outcome is I don't know it, I don't even know how to describe it it's like part of being a man you want to fix things you want to make things right um, and I felt helpless I really did I felt as though there was something wrong with me and um, and I know the doctor's appointments have proved that there's nothing wrong with me or you. Now, 
I think for me, the difficulty in all of this is that, yeah, like you said, the hope in the beginning and in initial stages is there and it's, it's, it seems like it's, it's alive and it's vibrant, the hope of having children. Um, but I think as the days go and the months go and the years go, you start to become more calloused and where you had great expectation or hope. Now you're just, at least for me, you become a little bit more cynical or you start thinking, well, is this even going to happen? You know, um, and then I think friends uh, or even acquaintances, especially like guys, not girls, but would uh, make certain comments and jokes that I, I feel like they just, they, I mean, they did it in ignorance, right? Uh, they didn't know the full story, but I felt as though those moments were really triggering for me. So my old job, I had uh, some coworkers, they had kids and they would always hackle me about not having children. They would always make jokes like, you know, where are your kids at? You know, are you shooting blanks? And, <laughs> and, uh, it's just comments like that, you know, and, uh, and they, they would, they would say that, oh, you're selfish, you know, you don't want to have kids and you don't want to, and I'm like, and it's not really the, the place to be. Oh, by the way, um, I can't have kids, <laughs> you know, it's just not a place to really be vulnerable with uh, a bunch of guys who don't, don't really have a desire to listen to what's happening in your life, but just want to make jokes. And I would laugh. I would laugh at some of the jokes. And, and then after the jokes were done, when I'm, when I was by myself, I think what is wrong with me? You know, um, these guys have kids and how come I don't have any kids? And, and then you start to do the, the introspection of like, okay, what have I done against the Lord? What sins have I committed? And I mean, those sins were clear to me. So then I would think, well, maybe it's because of this. This is why it's not happening. Um, but as you sit and you think and you reason, the scriptures would have us tell us that God doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Now, I know that there are better conditions for Christians to be in to have certain blessings. That's a true statement. That's not the, a matter of whether or not God is dealing with you according to your sins. So for a bit there, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not in a, a good state to be, um, to be a father and I need some time. So I thought about that quite a bit. And then I think other, as I observe other people and maybe the world, I start to think, well, I, I can observe that. Okay. So even some of the, the different ministries we were involved with soup truck or, you know, all the other things we did where we were interacting with people, um, that weren't doing so well. And then you see people that are strung out on drugs with children or people who um, don't even want kids with kids. And I think, am I worse than this person that I can't be entrusted with a child? Um, and I think those moments made me really, made me think even harder. Like maybe there's something about me that's causing us not to have kids. And I would, I would, I would take the blame upon myself. I would make it about me. And, uh, and that's probably an understatement. And, um, I think for me, looking to God was the hardest thing because I find in those moments I should run and turn to God, but I don't. I internalize my thoughts and I don't run to God in prayer. I, I just keep silent and 
And that hasn't been helpful. It hasn't been helpful because it turns me against God and it makes me question Him. Um, not, it's not to say that we can't question God, but there's a way to question God that you don't really want answers because you're being cynical. And I haven't been praying and questioning God in ways to really want to know His heart in this matter for us. But I've been questioning Him in ways of like, with an angry undertone um, and being cynical. So yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's been difficult. The journey has been definitely difficult and learning, learning a lot uh, about myself. Uh, I mean, I, far be it for me to quote Joyce Meyer, but uh, there's that Joyce Meyer quote where she says, I think it was the Battlefield of the Mind in the book, she says, there's nothing that brings the worst out of us like a good weight. And I think this waiting process has really revealed just all the dark places in my heart that I didn't know existed. And now I'm learning and I have to bring God's light into those places that I might be better for it. So that's how the journey has been for me. Thanks for that, Danfi. Just to add to what you've shared also about your experience with God. I think for myself, uh, I definitely have prayed a lot in this season. I had a period of six months where I was just home um, in between jobs and I was able to just spend a lot of time with the Lord and in prayer and I felt that he gave me promises even in that time. Um, not promises that I would say that are laid out specifically like, oh, you will have a child and you will name him this, or you will have this many children, but just promises of hope, promises that he will make everything beautiful in its time. And sometimes we wish that he would give us more than that uh, because we want, you know, that very specific prophetic word. You know, you hear stories like, oh, I'm opening your womb and, this is the moment and you will have a son. And I've, I've heard stories of people saying, Oh, God told me I will have this many children. Even my mother, she was told, she asked God how many children she was going to have. And I think this was like, not in a joyful anticipation, but in a almost like a cringing uh, because she was so sick when she was pregnant. Thank you, mom. <laughs> but, uh, and she felt God say six. So she heard that, and maybe at the time she didn't realize that was the, her answer, but it was. It did become evident that she did have six children. So you sometimes you want those specifics from God, just something to hold on to. But I felt like for me, he's been more leading me deeper into trusting him with what I can't see and what I don't know. And that can be really hard because it is. It's like you're you're walking in the dark. And you want him to turn the light on. And he just wants you to lean on him and trust that he will bring good out in the end. And that he makes everything beautiful. Even though you can't understand it. You don't understand it. You pray all the prayers. You know, how many people have laid their hands on my womb and, you know, prayed over my womb? Like countless, countless times. And you think after those prayer meetings, like, okay, maybe this this will be the year. This will be the month. But no. And that years go by and nothing. Uh, so it can leave you, yeah, really just... I think for me, in a sense, I just stop. You stop, stop praying about it. 
in a way. Um, and yeah, you move on to other things because you're just, you can't live with that. I don't know. I guess Hannah in the Bible, she, you know, wept and cried and like, there's a certain extent of that, but at some point you have to kind of wash your face and go to work and you can't stay in that state of emotional intensity, you know, year after year, you have to do something with it. You have to, maybe you get stronger. I don't know. Um, and that has led us to, you know, doctor's appointments and fertility specialists. And so we've begun this whole journey with exploring our options with medical intervention, which has brought a whole other set of questions and even faith challenges, because you wonder, would this be God's will? Um, The ethical matters. Yeah. And there's so many opinions out there about fertility treatments and just having friends go through it themselves and seeing what they've been through and their successes or their losses. Yeah, you really wrestle with with the question of, is this faith? Is this, would this be taking a step of faith to use what's been made available? And, or is it an attempt to make things happen on your own terms? Are you rushing ahead of God or, you know, not trusting him? There's a lot. There's a lot of emotions that that come into play and it it takes time. You, you can't just rush through these things. You have to take it slow. Yeah, and even to add to the medical intervention um, path that we've considered, I think for me it was really hard because I've always, I mean, at least it's one thing in the Bible, I felt as though God did miracles when it was like opening the womb. Um, and And I believe that, okay, if the God of the Bible did that in the past, he could do it today. And he has with a lot of people in a lot of cases. Um, so for me, I think I got to the point where I just kind of started doubting God's ability. And that's not to say that medical intervention doesn't have a divine component to it, because all science discoveries is really inspired by God. I mean, God is the one who gives men wisdom to find things and discover things and come up with ways to do things in a better way. Uh, Now, when men discover that, people that aren't Christians, they don't often use it to glorify God. But the discovery of it was permitted by God. So I've thought about those things, and I've thought, okay, medical intervention isn't really faithlessness. But it did feel like that for me. Uh, I felt as though that, wouldn't it be better if God, wouldn't be a better testimony if God just opened Amy's womb and we could talk about how good it, how good God has been, and we didn't go the route of medical intervention. And and sometimes I even kind of judged people that did go the medical intervention way, because I thought, did they really trust God? Did they take matters into their own hands? Um, was that what God wanted for them? <laughs> and uh, now I look back on it, I'm like, wow, that's that's harsh. That's very harsh. And and perhaps going the medical route might be a strike at my pride, a blow to my pride. And I know that in order for faith to really exist in the very room of our hearts, pride can't be there. Faith and pride can't be in the same room. And the other day, I remember waking up and uh, I told Amy about a dream I had. And in the dream, I think it was with regards to us having children and um, because we were talking about going the medical route, IVF and all those things. And I just was kind of hesitant and resistant. And I wanted to check my heart. 
And in in a dream, I woke up and I was reminded of the passage in Second Kings five. And in that passage, there's a Syrian soldier who's who's a commander of the of the army of Syria. I mean, he is high ranking. He works for the king of Syria, and he was a leper. In their conquest of one of the nations, they he, they brought a Jewish girl over to Syria, and the Jewish girl shared about a prophet in Israel named Elisha that was able to heal his leprosy. So this commander went and told the king of Syria that there's an option for him to get healed. So the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, "Hey,、um, I need you to pretty much get my commander healed of leprosy." To which the king of Israel didn't take very well because he said, "Am I in the place of God to do this?" But Elijah over heard this. Elijah the prophet heard that this commander of Syria needed this miracle, and he said, "Let him come. God is able to do this." So the commander of Syria went over to Elisha, met Elisha at his house, and sent his servant over. And they knocked on the door to have Elisha come out to meet this commander. But Elisha doesn't come out. He stays in and he tells. Um, the commander to go into the water nearby and dip seven times, and after seven times, he'll be healed. Now the commander was so taken back by this that he thought this was this is a complete offense. Does he know who I am? Like, does he know my high ranking? That he won't even come out to me to talk to me? And、uh, he laughed. He walked away, and he thought, "I'm not. I don't have time for this." And as he was going away, one of the servants that came with him said, "If he asked you to, if he spoke a great word to you." Would you not have considered it? Like, what's what's essentially what's the what's the cost of just doing what he says? So, the leper, the commander, finally took the counsel of Elisha and dipped into the water seven times and came out clean, and with like his skin was restored like a baby's skin, a newborn baby. He got his healing, but the only way he could get his healing was by putting aside his pride. Even though the conditions in which he got healed wasn't what he thought. Was suitable for him as a high-ranking commander. He had to humble himself, and faith is a humility. He had to humble himself to be able to receive his miracle. And I feel as though that dream, when I woke up from it, it was like I was being challenged with regards to the medical intervention. And I thought, what if this is a strike at my pride? Because for me, I felt that going the medical way was emasculating for me. I felt as though, and that's that's very harsh for me to say. It just felt like, wait, I can't do it the natural way, and I really had to grapple with that, the pride in that, and and you know what? Even going through this has made me appreciate and not take for granted things that we do take for granted, like childbearing, like getting pregnant is a miracle. I mean, it happens so much that we just overlook it and think, oh yeah, it just it's just part of life. But no, conceiving. Getting pregnant is actually a miracle that happens every single day, and I've come to realize that. I'm sure maybe I wouldn't have thought about it that way if it just happened so easily for us. I don't know, Amy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely.、Um, I'm always excited when I hear of somebody conceiving, even though it's. When I say excited, I should say it's bittersweet. I've had my moments when my first immediate thought is joy because of. The great longing that I have to feel that feeling or to hear that announcement. So I think if it's somebody I love, like my family or a close friend, I think I'm happy for them because I know how much joy it would bring if we were to feel that. But then also after that initial happiness or joy, 
you know, you're left with that hollow feeling of sadness or of just questioning once again why God would decide it best that that would not be, you know, you or, you know, that you don't get to experience that, even though God has been very good to me and I feel his presence every day and he's blessed me greatly. So I have nothing to, I have no reasons to complain against God. It's just more of a question, the why question that never really finds an answer. And then you're just, you're told to trust and you're you're just told to wait on him. And it's definitely caused a lot of challenges for Danfi and I because of how we respond to those moments. Yeah, and I think even, um, I know like pregnancy announcements are probably one of the hardest days in our house. And I've I've thought oftentimes, oh, you know, I'm you know, I'm I'm doing better, you know, with dealing with the fact that we haven't been able to conceive. And then a pregnancy announcement comes up and then I'm like, I actually have a bad reaction. And I think, well, maybe I'm not doing as well as I thought I was. And then it's just been something that's not been in my peripheral or I haven't thought about it, so I feel like I'm doing okay. But then a pregnancy announcement comes and I'm like I don't want to know. And it's been, it's, a, it's been a point of contention with us because I, I tell Amy, I don't want to know if someone is pregnant. Like if they tell you, I don't care to know, um, just because I find it hard to deal with. And it's not even because I'm not happy for them. I know that I'm eventually going to find out, but oftentimes I just don't want to have that conversation with Amy because sometimes it's, it's hard. Uh, and that's, I got to deal with what's in my heart with regards to that. But the funny thing is, I always, even when people, when our friends or whatnot, when they have their kid, I love the child. Like, I feel like I, whenever I see the child, there's like an, an immediate love for the child. And um, it's not that I don't, I'm not happy for them. Uh, in fact, I always enjoy those moments when we see our friends and their kids because I think their kids are cute and they reflect their parents and their parents are great friends. But I think what it reminds me of, the reason why I don't want to know is I guess it reminds me of what I'm missing. And part of uh, this with this journey is that it's taught me to be grateful for what I have. Uh, I'm always, uh, this may be a personality thing, I'm always reaching for what I don't have and forgetting about what I do have. And that's been something I've learned through this process. Having to be grateful, looking around for the blessings I have now and not looking at what I don't have. Because if I focus on what I don't have, Everything that I do have that's valuable now loses its value or it's not good enough until I get that next thing. So that's been that's been really hard for us. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts with regards to that. Yeah, uh, for me, I think some of the disappointment is wrapped up in being a woman, um, especially at my age. You're in your 30s and all my friends and family, they're all moms they have little children their families are growing in many ways I feel like I can't really identify with them you know like I'm happy for them and I enjoy hearing about the kids I love getting the videos and the pictures and but in a way it's like I can't relate to that season of life that they're in in many ways because I'm not sharing those experiences so sometimes I can feel out of place And I think even in the church, there's a lot of pressure on couples that don't have children, or even I'm sure I can only imagine single people, the way they feel, because you go into church, especially some churches, and 
they're dominated by young families. And even a lot of the sermons from the pulpit or messages are addressed to families or they're really encouraging, you know, how to raise your children and and even like the Christmas plays or the little things where the kids come up and have their little songs and they show their little um, their little talent show. It's kind of like, it's cute, but you're like, yeah, it's irrelevant to me. Like, this isn't, it's like you want to leave early, you know? Like, I'm going to just skip out of this part because I don't have a kid. I don't have kids. So there's a lot where you just feel like you don't fit. Or for me, with young moms, it's sometimes I don't know what to say. Like, what kind of conversations to have? Because I have time on my hands. I have time on my hands to read, to write to sleep. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like my time is being wasted, but I can't relate to some of the challenges they have or struggles that they go through or yeah. So there can, there can be that sense of disconnect, I think at times. Yeah. So that's one aspect of the challenge just in finding your place with, within your friends group or even within, within the church. I would say that one of the, uh, hardest times when you're facing infertility is Christmas morning. This particular past Christmas especially, I remember we were here this year and we just didn't have, there were no kids, no nieces and nephews to wake up and open presents. It was just us and yeah, you wake up in the morning and whenever you want and it's quiet and I remember standing in the kitchen and just feeling so like sad and lonely and even though I had you know we had plans that day and but it's just the excitement that children bring at Christmas and some of these holidays it's like they bring an energy they bring a joy they bring a fun that is just unique to children and I've definitely enjoyed that in my nieces and nephews um, around the holidays but this year we were just it was just us and you just felt the emptiness you felt that sadness I remember I just felt such deep grief that morning and um, yeah I would just recommend anybody if they're going through infertility to just try and be around their family at that time of year and enjoy your nieces and nephews enjoy the children that are in your life. Yeah, just to make it maybe a little bit easier. Yeah. Now, let's consider what are what are some of the things that some of the things that's been said to us that that's been unhelpful. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you've touched on some of those things already with your coworkers, but definitely like people mean well. They just sometimes you don't really don't want to bring up these things. You don't want to even bring up the issue because you're just afraid. You just cringe at the thought of what somebody's going to say to try and make sense of it. Yeah, we've we've heard it all. Definitely one that's not helpful is enjoy your sleep while you can. <laughs> yeah, It's like, okay, we know we get to sleep, but it's just such a... I don't know. I don't have the words. Would it help me out, Dan? It's, um, <laughs> it, it's trite. It's just, it's just overlooking the deeper issue. I think, uh, it's said in a way it's, I think it's said in a humorous way. People don't mean ill by it. And it's almost like, yeah, enjoy your sleep while you can. Cause kids will destroy your sleep. But then I, I think it's said without like, okay, so do you enjoy your kid though? 
you almost wonder, like, is there any value to any joy that the kid brings? And I'm like, and I know for sure the kids, my, are these people who say this, their kids bring them joy. But it seems like they highlight this trivial thing, which should make us feel good about where we're at. And I'm like, that's not very helpful. I mean, yes, we do enjoy our sleep. <laughs> we really do. Um, but at the same time, like, I think we that's... We would trade our sleep. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a, a sacrifice we would be willing to make. I mean, Amy doesn't even sleep anyways. <laughs> She's never into... I probably sleep. Like, I sleep deep. Amy's in a perpetual state of, like, halfway sleeping. And I swear, in the middle of the night, this girl, I could talk to her and she'll talk in her sleep because I she doesn't sleep anyways that, that, that I, I digress but yeah I thought that just wasn't it's not very helpful comment to say that to people who are you know yearning to be parents um what are some other ones uh oh try not to stress just relax or like don't think about it when you're not thinking about it it'll happen or if you're too stressed you know, that will interfere with your ability to get pregnant. Which, I can always find a logical reason not to f- believe that. Yeah, I've I've had that said to me a lot from friends. Like, oh, you know, um, once you stop thinking about it, it'll happen. Maybe you guys are stressing too much. And I'm like, I don't really know if we're stressing too much. But, um, yeah, it's said in almost a way to remedy the issue. Um, as though we haven't considered that. But like Amy said, yeah, there's a lot of people who get pregnant in very str- like stressful situations. Um, and I feel as though maybe it doesn't work across the board and it hasn't been helpful in that way. No, I know people mean well. Like we've said, people mean well when they say that. And I've had a lot of friends tell me that to just relax. Um, along with the the advice of being less stressed and calming down and relaxing and it'll happen naturally. I think along with that comes like remedies that people suggest. So <laughs> we had some funny ones. I've had like some of the guys, some Jamaican friends that I've had that I play soccer with will be like, you know, I'd be like, Dan Fee, you have to drink this porridge. Let me tell you right now, if you drink this porridge, you're going to breed right away. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, and then a bit of it, because you're so vulnerable, you start to con- you start to think, hmm, maybe I should try this out, and maybe it'll work, you know. And uh, suffice to say, it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, and and then I have like you know, you know, family members who suggest what's that thing? There's a drink called Gassy Genge that <laughs> that's supposed to uh, that's supposed to help you um, have children. You know, it's supposed to get you going and get. Don't keep your phone in your pocket. Yeah, don't don't keep your phone in which is probably be good. It's a good advice, but um not sure how much that affects uh for that. me uh Oh, you need to stop drinking coffee cuz you know that one coffee in the morning that's really gonna Well, I think you do need to stop drinking. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's like the Beth Moore says it's the only addiction Jesus lets me have. <laughs> so I'm sticking with that Beth Moore's uh, sentiment. Yeah, um yeah, all these little Things, remedies that people suggest that they, they, and they, they always give you the story, the one-off story. Oh, this person had this and then it worked for them. You know, and it's, it's funny. It's sad. Also, now that I think about it, that you're, because you're so vulnerable, you actually consider it and you think maybe I should try it. Um, but there's so much more that, ha- that, that goes into actually getting pregnant outside of these 
unproven methods of remedies. And on a more serious note, I think I think one of the most difficult things to hear is people mean well, but you know, Danfi and I have had our set of challenges. And, you know, you can be going through things in your marriage that are very hard. And, you know, sometimes the first thing people will say is, oh, thank God you don't have kids. Or, you know, good thing, you you know, you're not pregnant or you don't have children. That that seems to be like the, f- the first thing that people jump to just because, you know, you're going through some things. Or in a parental way, they're like, oh, you shouldn't have kids. You're not ready for kids. Uh, and that probably triggers me the most because... They could be right, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying somebody could be wrong for saying that, but it's just, it triggers me the most because I, they, they sit, when they say that, it seems like they're sitting in a place of God to almost suggest to me what I need, what they know that I'm ready for and what I'm not ready for. And that is the most aggravating thing to hear. Um, and I've heard that a couple of times and it just has not been helpful. I always leave from those conversations angry um, and not really helped by that. But we've also had a lot of support and have also received, you know, things that have been helpful um, from our friends and family. So we don't want to dismiss that. We want to definitely acknowledge those things as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, and the good thing is both of our, like, our, our parents have not put any pressure on us. In fact, they've both sides have been really encouraging and praying for us. And I don't think I've ever really felt the pressure from either parents and yeah I think it's been helpful to have the closest people to um, in our lives be supportive and not put that kind of pressure on us I think that would be unbearable if they were um, really pushing that upon us yeah or even judging our our choices to you know explore medical options definitely felt 100% support from from my parents and from Danfi's parents in that regard so Definitely grateful for that. And also from other people, spiritual mentors we have in our lives have just walked with us and prayed for us and encouraged us and just even had faith when, when yeah, when we were going through difficult things or I never felt judged in those moments for wanting a child. I think sometimes when you go through things, you feel like you don't even have permission to want that because of those voices that are saying, oh, you're not ready, or you can't even think about having kids, then you think, okay, so what do I do with this desire? Am I supposed to just not feel it because of all these challenges? Am I supposed to just pretend that those desires aren't there? So I've been thankful for the people that have just supported, even though those realities were there, and given me permission to feel those desires and been positive about them. Right. Yeah, so it's it's been... It's been quite difficult with regards to the emotions that come along with uh, infertility uh, and how to navigate that with somebody if perhaps you know somebody that is going through it. Uh, I think it's really helpful not to make suggestions. Oh, I think another thing was that people would always say, well, have you thought about adopting? Or like, you know, you don't have to, Mm -hmm. you don't have to have your own kids to be parents. You know that, right? And it's like, it's 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 meant well in the, in the way people say it, but it's like, you really think we haven't considered every option? It's like, yeah, we understand that, yeah, the, having our own kids isn't the only way we can be parents. And we've explored other options, and we're still exploring those options. 
But it's like, don't throw that advice in my face because it makes me, it makes it seem like we just haven't considered that at all and we're being selfish or to think that or to want to have our own kids and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's just, that's, I would say that's not helpful. Probably the most helpful thing you could do is just listen and pray, pray for the person, say that you'll be praying, get excited for them if they're exploring medical options, be encouraging, and even if you have your own opinions about it, maybe just keep those opinions to yourself and pray for them and just be there. Really, because we can't, we can't all experience each other's suffering equally. We don't know what people go through. I mean, we may go through this and other people go through other things that we can't relate to because we've never been through them. So the best thing for us to do is just to, to be there for each other. Yeah, I think, and I think this has taught us personally about how to walk with people going through difficult things. And I've learned, I've personally learned that you may, you may have good advice, but you have to know when the person's willing to hear it. Uh, if they don't invite the advice, don't give it. And also, I feel as though people don't correct someone's theology when they're going through pain. Um, most of the time, I know I've said things that I know in my head is theologically incorrect, but it's the emotions I'm feeling in the moment. And like, I don't need my theology to be corrected in that moment because I'm going to come to my right mind. Um, but in the moment, the feeling that I'm feeling feels a certain way. It makes me think of God in a certain way. And perhaps when I come back, then we can have that conversation. But I think it's so important to have a friend who can just listen, who can literally sit in silence with you and just be there for you. And most people don't know how to do that. I mean, I'm not saying I know how to do that perfectly because we're sometimes uncomfortable with people's pain. We want to fix it. Yeah, we want to do. We want to say something. We want to do something to kind of pacify or to help that person through it, because we feel as though if we can do that, then we're a good friend. But I think the most powerful thing you can do is just sit in silence with somebody, just be there, um, and that's more powerful. And I, I think I've had moments with some friends where I've expressed something and they've just listened and sat there. Uh, and not offered any advice, and it's been it's been good. And I appreciate those moments. I think that's what Job's friends were lacking, <laughs> being able to just sit and not say anything. Yeah, I definitely have some really good friends, and um, I'm very thankful for the ways I've been supported over the years. And there's been a lot, a lot more good than negative. But I think we wanted to just communicate for any of those people who are listening that maybe have gone through a similar experience. Uh, we wanted to communicate some of the things that weren't helpful, just so maybe you don't feel alone, or even for people that want to know what not to say or what to say if, if they know somebody going through these things. Just to kind of throw that out there as our own personal experience and just advice that we have based on what we've been through. Yeah, and we've um, we even had this conversation the other day. What would... What would life look like if God never gave us our own children? I mean, we, we've, we've already considered other options um, outside of having our own, but if we never had our own kids, how would we respond to that? Um, for me, I just, I've, I put it to the Lord that he would have to give me the grace to go through that. 
because I just don't ever want to assume that I can go through something, and then when I when that thing comes up, I'm completely unable to face it. So I'm entrusting myself to God uh, to get me through it if He so decides that this isn't what He has for us and that He'd rather us adopt or whatever option He would have us do. I'm learning that it's important to trust God no matter what, and that faith isn't a ticket to get what you want. It would seem that it would work that way because God is all-powerful and He can do anything. He owns everything. So why not deploy your power to help your people? But I think faith is more about entrusting ourselves to a God who is good and sovereign. Those two things have to be there, good and sovereign. Because if God was sovereign and we didn't know that He was good, it would be terrifying. You know, as a sovereign being, He would be able to do whatever He wants, when He wants. But if we couldn't trust that He was good, then we'd be like, we would really struggle with knowing that the next thing He was going to do was going to be for our good or for our benefit. Because He's sovereign and good, which both have to be together, we can trust that He has the best, He has our best interest at heart. So having a good God also alone without being sovereign is like pretty much a cosmic grandpa, you know, where he's, he cares, but he can't do anything for you. God's goodness goes along with his sovereignty and he wields his power to be good to us. So that's been two theological truths I feel like I've been trying to hold on to through this time and through whatever may come. We may be facing something else later on in life. But trying to remind myself that God is sovereign and God is good, that I don't always respond to him right, but I can always turn to him and he's merciful. Through every experience we go through, it ought to bring us closer to God and be a benefit to our neighbor. So that's the hope, I guess, that we have going through this, that we would benefit from it and that we would be a blessing to our neighbor and that we would learn to suffer with people, to walk with people through hard times. What are you thinking? So I think for me, really fighting against fear is probably one of my biggest battles. What kind of fears does it bring up? Fears that if we don't have children, then we won't even make it as a couple because it'll tear us apart to that point where we won't even, you know, be together anymore because of this huge disappointment mm. that it would ultimately, like, bring us, separate us. Right. So I think that sometimes I struggle with those fears because I feel like that's like the one thing I can't give you. You feel like less of a wife or... Or I feel less of a man. You go through it in your mind. You wrestle with these um, discouragements and these fears that can overwhelm. Um, which you have to fight with the Word of God and with His truth because the world could even tell you those things. So you have to go back to his word, and I think for me that's just a... I've been continually reminded that I need to look at God's word. What does he say? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about a family? No, I think I think the fears is, is a real thing. Um, and even the other day when we were talking about it, I thought the fear of like our kids not knowing our parents because they may not be around when they do come eventually, or not having the experience of like growing up with their grandparents and getting to know them and the fears of me being an old man and not being able to run with my kids, my mm. kids not being able to see me play soccer, enjoy that activity and be like, oh yeah, dad, you know, enjoys this or 
mom and dad are active and they do this. We don't, <laughs> I guess those are the fears. And I think sometimes I panic and I'm like, I don't want to lose any of my parents and them not know one of my kids. Um, yeah, because our parents are great. We have great parents and I would love my children to grow up knowing my parents and your parents and every year that passes it's like you feel like that time is well our parents aren't that old we're being a bit dramatic but you know what i mean <laughs> just I a mean, tad but they're they, they don't look old but they're getting up there yeah, they're not know, old old my dad thinks he's young but he's not he's an old guy he needs to relax but there's a lot i definitely feel empathy for those that are in a similar position and um even those who aren't married and long to have children yeah, these these are little things that, you know, you wrestle through and you really have to bring before God or else it's going to destroy you or cave you in, challenge your faith. And I think, too, uh, as we mentioned earlier, infertility can really turn you against each other. And I think that has a lot to do with how you respond to God in these times. If you turn to God with your pain and you turn to him with the mystery, then he can minister to you, and he can comfort you, and he can give you a sense of peace. And then that will turn your heart towards the other person. I mean, there have been times when we've both felt the sadness at the same time, and we've turned towards each other to comfort each other. But I would say more often than not, it's caused conflict and just tension and just really uh, hard, hard times between us. So if anyone going through this could benefit from hearing that, just you need to turn towards the Lord. He'll give you the strength and the power to face those emotions so that you can turn towards each other. And I think um, our heart is that this is, we did this, this was quite vulnerable for us to do, but we just felt as though it was something that we could share to encourage somebody. You may not be facing infertility, you may be facing something else, but I, we hope some of the things we've said, some of the principles would apply to your situation. Faith is most valid and recognizable, not on the top of a mountain, but in the valley. And God is there. God is there. As hard as it may seem or feel, that's where God is. And we are grateful for all the people that have prayed for us, that are praying for us, and all the people that walk with us, that know this prior to this recording. And it's been encouragement. We're really grateful for you guys. And we cherish your friendships. You've been a blessing to us. And we hope to be that to you. Thank you.